0: Welcome, everybody, to the start of a brand new year, a brand new season of your life, a brand new collection of sermons that we are beginning together called Planted, Not Buried. And I want to tell you, I want to warn you and inform you right off the jump that in this series, I want to change the way you see your whole life. I know that's a pretty bold statement, but Happy New Year. I I want to change the way you see everything that you see. Planted, not buried. See, because what I found is too often in life, we call any and every difficulty, any and every challenge, any and every obstacle in our path, any and every overwhelming moment as something trying to take us out something trying to destroy us, something trying to bury us, rather than maybe being something, maybe being the soil, maybe being the foundation that will allow you to be planted in to develop something special out of you. See, I believe in this season of life, Whatever it may be for you, maybe you're in high school or college, maybe in this season of life you're, you're, you're single, maybe in this season of life your, your relationship status is complicated, maybe in this season of life it's complicated because you're married and it's complicated because you got these kids, it's complicated because uh, your, your employment has changed significantly, it's complicated because your body doesn't feel the way your body used to feel, it's complicated. In this season, I want you to know you're planted, not buried. In this job you're in, you are planted. Now, I want to change the way you see in this relationship. Come on, in this task, in this moment. I don't believe that you're buried by it. I don't believe that you're buried in it. I believe that you are planted by God in this. You know, the process, though, of planting something looks a whole lot like burying something. Am I right? Like, like on the surface, if you will, it is a very similar task to plant something or to bury something. I mean, you dig a hole, right? That's how the whole thing, whether you're going to plant or bury, you start by digging a hole in the ground. And then you drop something in the hole, right? and then you fill the hole with dirt and you don't tell the hole or tell the thing that you're putting in a hole that you put it in the hole and then you cover it back up planting and burying can look on the surface very similar so several years ago in my family we um we got what was told to me as a free fish and let me tell you something about this fish it was not free. (laughs) It was the most expensive free fish anybody's ever had in life. Because the fish may have been free because somebody won it at a school auction or fair or it was given or they were trying to pass them out. But we didn't have any equipment, we didn't have any residencies, we didn't have any anything for a fish. And so the next thing I know, we have spent all this money at the Petco uh, to take our free fish and give it a proper abode. And we had the aquarium, and we had the rocks, and we had the two bedroom, three bath apartment in the fish, like we, it was all going on in there. And the fish lived in my son's room when he was little. And, and he loved the fish, we loved the fish, it was great. We see the fish whenever we walk out of our room, just make sure he's still living, you know, that he ain't floating too, top, too uh, close to the top of the water, all this kind of stuff, we, we loved the fish. And uh, like most fish do, like most everything does, but especially fish, because they seem to do this very, very quickly, Uh, In about eight or nine months, the fish uh, died. And at this particular moment in my my family's life, in my son's life, this, this death hit him hard. And he believed we needed to have a proper funeral for the fish. This fish was named Felicia, and we had to say bye to Felicia, if you will. And so as a as a good ordained minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we organized a, uh, uh, a funeral in our backyard. And this funeral uh, was was legit. I mean, I don't, I didn't even ask him to do it. I don't think my wife asked him to do it. But My son found funeral music on his iPad. And next thing I know, I'm walking outside for this funeral. And I hear like what sounds like, fun- you know, real organy, like just all this funeral. And I'm like, oh, we're going to do this, do this. And we had a little funeral. We paid our respects to felicia and we dug a hole we put felicia in the ground that was it for felicia but you know i thought about my backyard then and uh digging a hole for felicia and placing felicia in the hole and covering her with dirt and patting it down and you know i had done some other things in that backyard i had planted some things in that backyard there were flowers very near Felicia, there were bushes and plants and shrubberies that were near Felicia that had started in a very similar fashion: dug a hole, dropped something in the hole, cover it back up. But thank the Lord, Felicia never came back about that hole. She was buried in the ground. But some of these plants and some of these flowers and some of this some of this stuff that we had done, we we planted it in the ground with the intention of something coming back. It looked the same, but the result that we expected, the result that occurred was vastly different. Now, I know what you're thinking because you're smart, you're attracted with me, and you're like, well, what you need to understand is on one hand, you put a dead fish in the ground, and on the other hand, you put a seed in the ground, and I understand But the difference isn't just what was put into the ground. The difference, if I could speak to a spiritual perspective for a second. The difference, if I could speak to your life and the way you're living, the way you're even approaching this new year, the way you're approaching this new season, the way you're approaching this new job. Isn't just what gets put in the ground, but how the one that gets put in the ground sees what's happening to them. See, God can put you in a place. God can give you an assignment. But if you see this as the end, if you see this assignment as impossible, if you see this season of your life as something that nothing good could come from, if you see it as something with no possibility to do anything but to take you out, listen to me, friend, this season, this moment, this task, this work, it will bury you. But if you'll see it, If you'll see this moment, this season, this instance, the way God sees it, anything is possible. Absolutely anything is possible. See, it does not matter today where you're at. What matters today is how you see you. There are people who love, maybe you've even said this to yourself, they love to limit their potential. They love to limit what God can do in them and through them by saying, but you don't understand where I'm at. You don't understand where I was born. You don't understand where I live. You don't understand how much education I don't have. You don't understand how my family has always been. Hear me, it does not matter where you're at. It matters how you see you. Do you see you the way you see you or do you see you the way he sees you? It doesn't matter the place that you find yourself today. What matters is do you see you the way he sees you? See, it doesn't even matter how other people see you. Because other people will see you and they'll put a script on you. Other people will see you and they'll define for you uh, who you can become and what God can do through you. It doesn't matter how other people see you. It matters what God says about you. I don't care what they say about you. I don't care what their report says. What matters is what God says. Doesn't matter where you are, it matters what you see. It doesn't matter what they say, it matters what God says. Now before I move too much further in our seemingly uh, pep talk of today, I would like to ground all that I am stating to you in the place of its birth see this that i'm communicating to you isn't just positive self talk although some of you start a brand new year may feel like it's that way no 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 this doesn't come from some self-help this isn't believe in yourself and be better in this life No, no 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 that's not what i'm talking about this idea is rooted in the heart of the scripture specifically today i want to turn your attention to the book of numbers that shows us this powerful Story in the life of the people of God that illustrates what I'm telling you so powerfully, so clearly as it was their experience. But I'm not just going to drop you in the book of Numbers because most of us would be lost. I want to catch you up on what has been going on in these people's lives before we dive into this moment on today. The book of Numbers, we are following and tracking with the children of Israel. God has delivered them from captivity in Egypt. They spent 430 years as slaves in the land of Egypt. And now God has, in a very loud and big and powerful way, delivered them from that captivity. He delivered them by sending them on a path to a promised land a land that he had promised to their forefathers. He had said to Abraham, I'm gonna make you into a great nation and I'm gonna give you land. He promised this to Isaac. He promised this to Jacob, whose name was Israel, wherewith these people took their name, Satan. But very early on, we find that God can't take them on the direct route because the direct route would have involved a lot of battles that these people weren't really ready for. And so he took them on the scenic route. (laughs) And along this scenic route, he is trying to get the Egypt out of them and get his spirit on the inside of them, get his way and his priorities and what he says about them on the inside of them. And he's been doing many, many wonders along the way. And these people are now more than a year out of Egypt and they find themselves sort of on the doorstep of the promised land. They can see Canaan from where they're at. And so... Now it seems good to God and good to the leadership, Moses in particular, to go and do a thing in the land before they go into the land. And that's where we find ourselves in the book of Numbers chapter 13. Let's read a few verses and then we will uh, catch ourselves up from there. Numbers chapter 13, verses 1, 2, and 3, recorded as such. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses, send men to scout out the land of Canaan. I am giving to the Israelites. Send one man who is a leader among them from each of their ancestral tribes. Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the Lord's command. All the men were leaders in Israel. Now they have a pretty clear assignment here, right? You don't have to be some uh, Bible scholar, some great student of the Word of God, some great understander of the history of the people of Israel to be able to understand what is going on here. They have an assignment that is clear. They are to inspect what God has already promised. Don't miss that. They are to inspect what God has already promised. They take one representative, one leader, as the scriptures call them, from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, which was the primary grouping, primary classifications for these people. Jacob had 12 sons and each of his sons, then their family trees became these tribes. But these tribes were not small, insignificant groups of people. You're talking about by this time, tens of thousands, some of them, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people in these various tribes. And so yes, they needed a representative. They needed someone to be their eyes, to be their heart, to be their ears, to go do the task. And so these 12 leaders are assimilated and collected and chosen to go spy out the land and see what's going on in there. And let's see what God has given to us. But can we stop for a second and ask a very important question? Why do this? Why go inspect what God has already promised to give? If it's God's promise to them, if this is God's promised land, if God is going to give this, if God is going to bless this, if God is going to make it theirs, why go evaluate what's going on in the land? Why not just simply receive it? Why not just simply march in there and say, well, God gave us this. We happy to be here. Would you write something down today that I think may help you in a significant way? God's promises often require our participation. Oh, today is a setup for where we're going to go over the next many, many weeks. And I would encourage you to lean in on today, but to make it a priority to be a part of church, to be in service, to catch these sermons over these next couple of weeks, because we are going to build your faith in this idea. But you must understand as we lay a foundation today that the promises of God often require our participation. But what we are so quick to do, many of us, myself included at times, is we disconnect our responsibility from God's promise. We want God to do the thing that God has promised to do, but we are unwilling to do the thing that His promise necessitates of us. People love to be talking about, I know God will order my steps, and He will. He will order your steps if you're righteous. Because the steps of righteous people are ordered by the Lord. So you can't live any way you want to live, act any way you want to act, do whatever it is you want to do and expect somehow God is now ordering your steps. It don't work that way because God's promises often require our participation. And if you won't walk in the way that is righteous, he won't order your steps. People love to, if they've got children, love to talk about how how, how God will, will protect their children and keep their children connected to him. And yes, that is his promise. If you train up your child in the way that they should go, then when they're old, they won't depart from him. You can hold that Your heart. You can hang on to God's promise and believe. I raised them in God's house. I showed them at our house the things of God. They didn't have to wonder what it looked like to know a man of God, to know a woman of God, because they saw me. Some people be running around valuing everything more than the house of God. They value every activity, every opportunity in their children's lives more than they do getting them in God's house, more than they do raising them in the things of God in the way that they should go, but yet they want to hang on to some promise from God that they have not been obedient to. You don't want. God can't bless you. He can bless you. He wants to bless you. He said, test me and watch and see if I won't bless you, but his promise Requires our participation. said to bring the tithe into the storehouse so there may be food in his house. And test me in this to see if I don't open up the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you that you won't have room to contain. Some of us, we want the promise of God for his blessing, but we're unwilling to participate like he asked us to and to return to him what's his first and foremost. God can bring you peace that passes all understanding. Man, some people be running around praying for, trying to find, trying to acquire peace at any and all cost. And we say, God, give me peace. I know you can give me, give me the peace that passes all understanding. And he can. And he wants to. But he will keep in perfect peace the one whose mind is set on him. That peace that passes all understanding is a byproduct, is a promise For those who participate in setting their mind on him. God's promises often require our participation. And in Numbers 13, we see a promise from God. I have given you this land. But there's a participation element that he is asking of them. God gave them a promise, but he also assigned them a task like he often did like he often does and so these 12 men these 12 leaders as sometimes they're referred to these 12 spies not because they were some 007 kind of agent but because that was the activity that was the assignment put on them go spy out the land they spent 40 days evaluating this land that they were promised They spent 40 days running around, taking notes and having conversations and seeing what was going on in the land. They looked at the people and they looked at the quality of the land and the fertility of the land and were things growing there. And they assessed all of these things. They looked at how fortified and strong the various cities were. They they took account of all the things that you would see and want to know about the land because Moses, their leader, Moses, the mouthpiece of God to these people in this time, Moses communicated them, these are some things you want to check up. Just read Numbers 13, the following verses. He tells them all these things. You should check on this. You should look for this. He actually says, I want you to also bring us, if you can, some, some evidence of what's going on in the land. And so they actually, uh, they actually brought some proof of some of what they saw because they saw this land, as they would describe it, flowing with milk and honey. It was a bountiful land. They brought back a cluster of grapes from this land. The way the scripture describes it was so large, they actually had to put it on a, on a pole, on a rod, and be carried between two people. One cluster of grapes had to be sent and carried by two men. I know it feels like the giant world from Super Mario back in the day, right? But like, but like this land was so bad. They wanted to prove what they saw. But, you know, it wasn't just a giant cluster of grapes. that weren't the only thing that they brought back. They brought back their perspective of the land. They also brought back their perspective, if I could say it another way, of God's promise. They brought back how God's promise looked to them. And as we continue reading in chapter 13, you get down to verse 26 of Numbers chapter 13. We find these 12 men after their 40 days of evaluating and surveying and spying out in the land. After 40 days of having these conversations and 40 days of being able to to see all that's going on. This is the way the scripture records it. And I would love for you to catch this. It says the men went back to Moses, Aaron, and the entire Israelite community in the wilderness of Paran. They were just sitting there waiting on them to come back. At Kadesh they brought back a report for them and the whole community and they showed them the fruit of the land those giant grapes they reported to Moses we went into the land where you sent us indeed it is flowing with milk and honey and here is some of its fruit however the people in the land are strong and the cities are large and fortified we also saw the descendants of Anak The Amalekites are living in the land of Negev. The Hethites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live by the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people in the presence of Moses and said, let's go up now and take possession of the land because we can certainly conquer it. But the men who had gone up with him responded, we can't attack the people, Because they are stronger than we are. So they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land they had scouted. The land we passed through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants. And the people we saw in it are men of great size. We even saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Enoch come from the Nephilim. To ourselves, we seem like grasshoppers. And we must have seemed the same to them. It's interesting. You hear in their report how intimidated some of them were. Intimidation is an interesting reality. Never based on what is factual or certain, but based on a perception for what might be. And I am someone who I find myself from time to time, not not meaning to, but using intimidation to my own advantage. Now, there was a time in my life where I used it to my advantage on purpose. When I was in high school and then part of college, I played golf competitively, played for schools, won a lot of tournaments, did this kind of stuff. And as I got really good my junior year of high school, I, uh, I had one of my coaches give me some instruction about um, using some natural giftings that I had to clear out some of the competition. See, I'm not built like the normal golfer, certainly when I was in high school. Most of the dudes playing golf was 5'4, 122 pounds. I'm two of them, okay? <laughs> like, like I was six foot three, six foot four, two hundred, and 22 plus, you know, like like I was a big boy and not only was I large in stature compared to most of the people playing golf in high school and then even in college matches. But I also have always hit the ball really far, not always straight, but really far. And whenever you see somebody do something you can't do or you want to do, because everybody that plays golf wants to hit the ball far. I don't care what they ever tell you, everybody wants to hit the ball far. And you hear a sound that your club doesn't make when it hits the golf ball. And you see it take off at a rate of speed that the golf ball doesn't take off when you hit the golf ball, you get intimidated. And my coach saw this in me. And so he gave me some instruction because normally when I would practice, when our high school team would be getting ready for matches and stuff like that or practicing on our own on practice days, I would go over and find myself a a private place, a lonely place, kind of out of the way where I could just work and be by myself. But my coach told me, he said, every time we have a match, I need you to evaluate the practice area. And he said, I want you to set up in a spot where every person that comes to warm up has to see you hit the ball. See, before you go play golf, particularly in a match, you would warm up like any athlete does when they're getting ready. You watch a basketball game and the players come out there before the game starts and they get shots up and they run around a little bit, get some layups done, shoot some different things just to get a feel. Football players do this. Everyone does this. Well, in golf, it's the same. You'll spend a few minutes hitting golf balls on what's called a driving range just to get ready. And he said, I want you to position yourself in a spot Where everybody has to see you, because he said, I promise you this, 90 to 95% of the guys you'll compete against, you will have beaten before they ever step on their first tee, because when they see you hit, they're going to be scared. And I found this to be true. And so all through high school then and even in college, I would always, when it was time for a match, I'd be looking on the range and say, where's the spot where nobody can miss me? And I would sit there and i hit the ball and I'd just be focused on myself. But I knew as I was, I was intimidating other people because here's this six foot three, six foot four big boy and and I can't do what he's doing. And they had lost before they ever started. Why? In Numbers 13, are the people who God made a promise to now intimidated? It's not because they weren't capable. You know something I learned playing that golf competitively and doing this is that sometimes there were people that I intimidated who thought they had no shot, but the truth is they were better than me. Their game was more well-rounded. They were just scared and intimidated because of what they had saw seen and heard intimidation is a funny thing and and we see people who have walked in to something God has promised them now intimidated to receive what God has promised them because of what they saw now let's recap for those of you who may have missed it there were 12 spies sent out 12 leaders sent out to spy out the land Ten of them, the scripture will tell us, gave a negative report. Two of them, Caleb, who we heard from, and his buddy Joshua, gave a positive report and said, God called us to do this. We could certainly do this. What's the difference? What's the difference between the ten that were intimidated and the two that weren't? What's the difference between the 10 that said, there is no way we can conquer this land, and the two that said, we better jump on it now. God has given us this land. What is the difference? They were on the journey together. They saw all the same things. They, they took notes at the same time. They probably gathered back at a campsite each night and, and discussed the things that they had seen eating together. They were like, man, did you see this? And they saw. They, they gave the same report. It wasn't like there was this conflicting where, where the, the, the ten that thought there was no way they could say, man, the people are giants. And Joshua and Caleb said, no, you're alive. That, that's not what happened. They said, yeah, we all saw the same thing. Land's flowing, milk and honey. It's bountiful. The cities are fortified. Man, they're big. The people big too. There's a lot going on there. But ten of them say, we better not go. And two of them say, God has called us to do this. We better go. It wasn't that they saw the land differently. It was that they saw themselves differently. It wasn't that they saw the place, saw the promise differently. It wasn't that one had a clouded Pollyanna view of what was really going on, the other one saw it for real, it wasn't that. It was that they saw themselves differently. Would you write this down in your notes today? How you see you will determine how you see everything. How you see you, how you see the person created in the image of how you see you will determine how you see everything. See, I need you to know today, it is not that God can't use you. But for some of you, you do not have the ability right now to see yourself being used by God. And the reason God isn't using you isn't because he can't use you. It's because you don't see yourself being used. It's not that God can't deliver you from whatever it is that is binding you, from the attacks in your mind, from addiction, from fear. It's not that God can't deliver you. It's that some of you don't see yourself as somebody who can be delivered. You don't see yourself as somebody who is able to live free. It's not that God can't bless you relationally, bless you emotionally, Bless you financially, bless you with influence. it's not that God can't bless you. It's that some of you don't see yourself ever being able to be blessed. It's not that you can't. It's that you don't see that God can. Because you most certainly see you. Oh, you see you. You see your strengths and you see your weaknesses. You, you, you see the things about you that others celebrate, and you also see your frailties. So the real question today is this. How do you see you? How do you see you? Do you see yourself like God says, or do you see yourselves like other people say? Do you see you like God sees you or do you see you like your haters see you, like your detractors see you, like those people in your life or around your life who the only thing that can speak over your life or about your life is negativity and despair? How do you see you? Do you see you like you are or like you think you are based on how you think that they see you? See, that is the striking thing to me in all of Numbers 13 that we have read. Yes, God gave them a promise, told them to go spy it out, told them to go take a look at it, go inspect the land. Yes, God did that. Yes, yes, they went around and saw and they saw uh, obstacles, but also opportunities. They saw difficult things, but they also saw this is going to be great. Look what God has done. They saw all this. But the thing that is so striking to me is the way the final verse that we read surmises their defense. They said, we felt like grasshoppers to them. We felt insignificant being in their city. We felt so small walking around looking at what was going on in that land that God promised to us. But did you see what they said in the second half of that line? He says, and we must have seemed the same to them. We must have seemed the same to them. Now we talked to some people and they said, oh yeah, y'all look like grasshoppers to us. No, no, no. But they had a perception they put on themselves. And they said, there is no way they see us any differently than the way that we see Ourselves, They assumed upon those that they were instructed to scout this perspective. They didn't have an interview, but they had a flawed perspective that they allowed to bury them. The reason that the 10 weren't willing to go take the land that God had given them, the reason the 10 would ultimately create punishment that would affect the entire nation of Israel, the reason the 10 made a determination that would set the timeline back 40 years. Why did they wander in the wilderness 40 years? Because they weren't willing to walk into the thing God promised them to. Not because God didn't promise it, but because they didn't see themselves as people who could walk into that promise. They had a flawed perspective. And they allowed it to bury them. The land that God wanted to plant them in. When they inspected it, they allowed how they saw themselves to cause them to be buried in the place they were supposed to be planted. See, the issue, though, wasn't like God wasn't doing stuff in their midst because God was working, working at this time. It wasn't like they hadn't seen God do a thing. Remember, these are the children of Israel who literally just about 18 months before had been led miraculously and powerfully. After 430 years of slavery and captivity in Egypt, they had been led to total deliverance out of Egypt. They had seen with their own eyes the ten plagues. Come on, some of you saw that movie. You know what I'm talking about. They had seen the locusts, and they had seen the gnats, and they had seen the darkness. They would seen the death of the firstborn, but they had seen the place that they were in in Goshen, protected all along the way, and how God looked out for them, and God cared for them. And, and Egypt finally said, y'all better go, and then Egypt chased them. But they get to the bank of the Red Sea, and, and God parts the waters of the Red Sea, and they walked across on dry ground. You better hear me they weren't reading this about somebody else this wasn't somebody else's story somebody else's testimony somebody else's experience the some of them the sandals they were wearing were the same sandals that had touched the bottom of the dry ground of the red sea that they had walked through and then when they turned around the waters collapsed on top of pharaoh and his armies they had seen this they had wandered through the desert and every morning seen a, glistening on the ground, manna provided by God that they were able to take and create and and bake and eat and sustenance for them, did not come from the toil of their hand, but was the blessing of heaven. Every evening there was quail on the ground for them to take and cook and eat. They had bread, they had meat, they ate well, they were protected. There was a cloud that sat over them uh, during the day, a pillar of fire at night that reminded them that the presence of God was there with them. He was leaning in. When the cloud moved, they moved. If the cloud didn't move, they didn't move. were seeing living in the middle of all of this how come they couldn't see the promise of God in that land they didn't need to see another miracle they were living in a miracle They didn't need to see another miracle by the hand of God. They needed the miracle of sight. They didn't need to see God turn the river to blood and turn it back to water. They'd already seen that. They needed to see God provide. They'd seen God provide everything. They wouldn't be living if God hadn't provided. They were walking around wearing clothes that should have worn out as much as they were doing, but their clothes were still in good time. Their sandals were still good because God was protecting them. God, God would provide water from a rock. God would do all that they needed. They didn't need to see another miracle. They needed the miracle of sight, the ability to be able to see themselves right. Because even though they had left Egypt, They still have a lot of Egypt in them. Can I tell you something today, friend? You don't need another miracle in your life. I know that's what you pray for. I know that's what you think you need. No, 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 no. You don't need another miracle in your life. You need to start seeing yourself right. Because God can provide all that you've prayed for, all that you are presently praying for. But that don't mean you're gonna see different. God can answer every prayer that you're praying right now. I'm talking about every prayer. The prayers that you pray fervently, the prayers that you pray in a spoken manner, the prayers that are treasured up in your heart, that you are too worried about ever speaking publicly. So you just hold them tightly to your heart between you and the Lord. God can answer every one of your prayers. But that doesn't mean you're going to see differently. See, I know some of you, what you want is you want provision, but what you need is to see. You want deliverance, but what you need is to see. You you want favor on your life, favor on your work, but what you need is to see. You want healing, but what you need is to see. Why? Well, I want to give you several things to write down today as I move this to a close. As I take this introduction and lay the final pieces of this foundation up to set you up for where we're going to go. Because I'm gonna build your faith in this series. And I'm going to change the way you see all you see if you'll just give me time. But you gotta change the way you see. Because how you see you will determine how you see everything, it'll determine how you see. Write this down blessing How you see you Will determine how you see blessing Because God wants to bless you He does He wants to bless your life. He wants to bless your emotion. He wants to bless All of you. He's a good God who wants to give good gifts to his children He wants to bless you. The problem is some of you don't see yourself as blessable and so if he did bless you you would call his blessing luck you would call his blessing fortune or if you're type a you may call his blessing the products of your own hard work and you think you're the one who did it. And the reason you call it the product of your own hard work, the reason you call it I'm just fortunate, the reason you say, well, I guess I'm just lucky, is because you don't see yourself as blessable. God could bless somebody else, but he can't bless you. How you see you will determine how you see blessing. How you see you will determine how you see difficulty. I told you it'll... How you see you will determine how you see everything. That's blessing and difficulty. Because what God does, please hear me, God develops through difficulty. Difficulty is the incubator. It is the place. It is the environment that God uses to develop you and to develop me. But if you don't see yourself as someone who can handle difficult, you will demonize every difficulty. Some of you are demonizing right now the very environment, the very place, the very job, the very situation, the very tough moment that that God is trying to use to develop you. And the reason you ain't growing, the reason you ain't changing, the reason you ain't developing is because you thought you were buried in that job. You were buried in that situation when God said I planted you there. To develop you, but you'll never develop in an environment that you demonize. How you see you, some of you don't think you was built for. No, you were built for. How you see you will determine how you see difficulty. Some of you think that because it's difficult, God has abandoned you. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't left you. He wants to use that moment. He wants to use that place. He wants to use that to develop you. You see, how you see you will determine how you see everything, how you see blessing, how you see difficulty, write this down, how you see assignments. God won't give you more than you can handle with his help. He'll give you what feels like too much for you. Oh, just read the story of the Exodus. How many times Moses cried out to God and said, God, the task you have given me is too much for me. God, why why you put me in charge of all these people? God will give you what feels like too much for you. But he won't give you what feels like too much for you with his help. But if you don't see yourself as capable for the assignment he's called you to, you will bail on the assignment. Because you didn't see yourself as strong enough, called enough, trustworthy enough, capable enough. Some of you have bailed on the assignment that God wanted you to be in because he was trying to plant you there. But you thought the assignment was going to take you out. You thought the assignment was going to squeeze the life out of you. Because you didn't see yourself as somebody that could grow into that. You didn't see yourself as somebody that had the hand of God, the favor of God on you in that difficult assignment. How you see you will determine how you see everything. Blessing, difficulty, assignments, it'll determine how you see seasons. God is a God of seasons. He uses seasons. And the reason there's a season of harvest is because there's a season of planting and a season of growing, where sometimes it don't look like much is happening. Sometimes all the work is happening underground. I'm gonna talk about that in a future week. But um, sometimes we get impatient over the lack of progress when the work is happening in a place that others can't see, we can't even see. So we wanna run, we wanna bail, we wanna get out of this, Because we don't see the season, right? How you see you will determine how you see seasons. Because how you see you, please write this down, friend. It'll determine how you see God. See, God loves you. God is for you, not against you. He has plans to prosper you and not to harm you. To give you a hope and a future. But some of you, your incorrect view of yourself blinds you to your view of him. And the reason you see God wrong isn't because he's revealing himself wrong, isn't because he's been preached wrong to you, isn't because he's been communicated wrong to you in his word. It's because you don't see yourself right, so you can't see him right. In these weeks in the series, I want to change how you see all you see so that ultimately you can see God right no matter where you find yourself no matter what's going on because what if God tells you he's with you he's for you but everyone around you tells you it looks like God has abandoned But you know that you know in your heart of hearts you are right where God has called you to be. You are doing what he has called you to do. But they say, whose report will you believe? But they say, whose testimony are you going to trust? What if God prepares a table for you? But the table he prepares for you is in the presence of your enemies that the place that God has called you to sit and to occupy in the earth, you will be surrounded by people that will never be for you. If you don't see yourself right, you'll never be able to see God right, because you'll think he abandoned you because of the environment you're in. And he said, no, 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 I gave you that. I prepared that place for you. What if God calls you to do a thing, but everybody around you says that thing for you is impossible? They see what you see, they know what you know, but their interpretation is different than what God said. When my wife and I felt called, To start believing. We were advised on many occasions and in many ways not to plant here. I use the word plant not to creatively weave in my title one more time. But that is literally the language of the organizations that we were working with in starting a church. That they call starting a new church. They literally call it planting. And the church planting organization that we were uh, commended by and uh, covered by told us when we met with them for approval and verification that uh, we shouldn't do what was in our heart to do. They, uh, they said, well, you know, you're... Your, very talented, and you, you guys are a great young couple, and I, I think you'll you'll do great things, but um, they pushed back on the desire in our heart to plant ourselves in the urban core of a city, to look at neighborhoods and areas of disinvestment and make investment, believing that the good news of Jesus and the good work of God's people could literally bring about Change in a community. They said, they said, "Listen, do that one day, but find yourself, whether whatever city you find, find yourself a, a, a new growth suburb, find yourself a, a comfortable place and, and start there and, and build your influence, and then once you've built your influence, then you can go do all the other stuff you want to do. We had people that knew the city of Memphis, so they said. They knew it. I mean, I'm from here, but they knew it. I grew up in Tullahoma home in Winchester, but they knew it. And uh, they said, um, you'll need to do that there. They said, that place will take you out. And those that were more forthcoming would say, you won't um, last. And then they tell me, because you're white, which apparently I thought they w- was giving news to me. Like, oh, <laughs> I didn't know. Cause what I knew was what God had burdened our hearts with. What I knew is that God hadn't called me. He hadn't called us to start a church. Cause the last thing I wanted to do was start a church. But what he had burdened in me was this insatiable need to plant my life in the city of Memphis and to run towards problems in our community and to run towards areas that people said no good thing could happen there and to run towards situations that people had thrown in the towel on and to run towards people who were left behind when everyone moved out, to run towards and to plant myself there. So I learned pretty quickly not to care what an outsider thinks. Because they don't know. I learned over time to see myself the way God sees me. Because planted isn't a position. It's a perspective. Planted, not buried. Baby, over these weeks, I want to change how you see because you need to take on the perspective that God says about you. It does not matter where you are. You can be planted right next to somebody who is buried. You can be buried right next to somebody who is planted because it's all in how you see. Planted is a perspective. And whether you see yourself right now in a season of prosperity or a season of decline. Whether you see yourself right now facing something difficult or facing ease, I do not care where you are at. All I care is trying to help you see the way God sees you, to see what he's called you to, to see where he's leading you to, and to see yourself as planted, not buried, because you are who God says you are, and you can have all that God says you can have. And you are more than a conqueror through him who loves you and gave himself for you. You are a child of the king. You are the head and not the tail. And you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. As soon as you realize, wherever I'm at, don't matter. Because if I'm there, I am planted, not bare. Father, I thank you for your word today. I pray today that wherever people are watching and wherever they are listening from, whether their normal thinking, their normal feeling is one of despair and despondency or hope in life, I pray that you would begin to open their eyes, you would begin to change their perspective, you would begin to speak with clarity and vision and faith to their soul right now that they are planted because you sent them They are planted because you are with them in this season. They are planted because you have called them to do what other people said was impossible to do. They are planted, not buried. And Father, I pray over these upcoming weeks that you would stir our faith. That you would enlarge our capacity to believe you, to trust you. No matter what we see and no matter what others say. Because we know that you have called us. And we are planted, not buried. We love you, praise you, we thank you for your word today. And with that, all God's people said, amen.